like we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Derek Johnson in studio with Nick Springer here for another edition of RCST. Coming up in an hour and a half, I'm going to be out of Big Mail. Scott Chasen, we're going to take you for the last hour of the show and lead you into pregame coverage with the Crimson and Blue Show at 530 Kickoff at 7 o'clock. You can hear it here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. If you're looking for the Free State High School game tonight, you can hear that on our other sister station, 92.9 The Bowl, or with our video stream uh, paired with 810 Varsity. DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Officially is live in Kansas just in time for the football season. To celebrate, new DraftKings Kansas customers who bet just $5 on anything will get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. Get up seven, you win. Bet on any pro football team of your choice, and if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. That's a pretty cool promotion. They've got some other cool promotions on there as well. I know some people are having trouble getting the original 100. If you contact customer support, it for sure goes through. Uh, I don't know about if it's just gone through for everyone yet, but I got mine yesterday. So I guess if you haven't, reach out to customer support. But um, there's an extra way to get an extra $200 free in addition to some of the bets they're doing. Like we were talking before the show. There's one where you can, I know it's Kansas State, so it's not ideal, but you can literally put at plus 100 odds a bet on Kansas State to score one point tonight. Or no, tomorrow. Do they play tomorrow, tonight? I don't know, whatever. Yeah, I don't even know when they play. Let's say they play tomorrow. Um, One point in their opening game. That's all they have to do. If they score one point, you double their money. So why would you not take that? Well, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this pro team, this pro football NFL Mm -hmm. bet. How often do the Chiefs get up 7 0? Like every game. Every game. So that's that's an incredible bet. Yeah. Uh, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code KLWN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. That's code KLWN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Moneyline bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash Kansas on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. West Virginia played last night. You you they won did. some money on that. With, they did, plus seven with and a half. Kings. It, it yeah. was close. It was close, but that's why you get the half point. There you yeah, go. That's why you uh, get it. Do you feel better or worse about the KU game? Because we both picked West Virginia yesterday in the schedule preview, but you've also said that you think it is very much a winnable game. I, I mean, it's of course it's a winnable game. I think yeah. that way too. But um, I don't know. Do you feel better or do you feel worse about it now after watching I, that? I kind of feel slightly worse. A little bit, <laughs> and there there are a couple things that I feel way worse about. Number one is West Virginia's defensive line looked really good against Pitt. I mean, really good. They sacked Keaton Slovis five times. Pitt only ran for seventy six yards. The D line was getting pressure all night. That's that's not a good sign for KU. Now, counterpoint to that though is Pitt. Even though they weren't running the ball very well, they were running a lot of play action and they were getting guys wide open on a number of occasions down the field against West Virginia. So even though they weren't running the ball very well, the play-action pass still had some success for Pitt against West Virginia. So that's kind of a caveat to that. But but the D-line for West Virginia looks pretty legit and is definitely going to be a serious test for KU right out of the gate offensively, which is – and obviously we've talked about it quite a bit. KU's run game figures to be kind of their, their bread and butter or their, their identity. And – West Virginia, I think, is going to test that very early, right right out of the gate after this Tennessee Tech game. So that that aspect does concern me. Offensively, JT Daniels, I thought, played really well. I thought he had a pretty good game for West Virginia. He obviously has a lot of talent. We know he's, he's been transferred around to, to major programs, so we know he's got the talent. And he, and he looked pretty good uh, against Pittsburgh. He had to deal with a lot of pressure. He did. And that caused issues because he's not a, a mobile guy. So if yeah, you can get pressure on him, guy. that's great. But yeah. 
That's the one thing. I did see some people being like, man, West Virginia's offensive line, not very good. This could be a good opportunity for Lonnie Phelps and company. Keep in mind, Pittsburgh has one of the best defensive lines in the country, right? It's a top 25 team. So, yes, there were certain areas that they struggled in, but they still almost beat a top 25 team last night on the road. They did. And Bryce Ford, I feel worse. Their top receiver was very good. Nine catches, 97 yards, two touchdowns. I know people are going to say, oh, but he dropped the Mm game-winning INT that let Pittsburgh win. He still had a fantastic game, and hopefully he can check that off. But I think outside of Not in week two, though. Yeah, not in week two. (laughs) But I think outside of Bryce Ford Wheaton, the the offensive firepower for West Virginia is not really there. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't very impressed with the run game. They didn't really have any other receivers that jumped out besides Ford Wheaton. So if KU can key in on Ford Wheaton and, and bottle him up a little bit, that may bode well for their defense in terms of everything else. Now, obviously, we know about the struggles KU has had stopping the run. And West Virginia, they ran, they did run the ball pretty well. They ended up rushing for 190 yards against Pittsburgh. So they could find some success there. So, again, it's it's just like it was going to be a test for the KU offensive line. It's going to be a test for the KU defensive line and the KU linebackers and this revamped run defense and how it's going to look uh, against against KU. So we'll see. Uh, but I'm not – I wouldn't say West Virginia did anything offensively that makes me extremely concerned for KU's defense. But the defensive line for West Virginia, I think, is certainly what jumped out watching the game and then going back and looking at the box score. Five sacks, 76 yards only rushing for Pittsburgh. Like, If that's going to be KU's identity, if that's going to be what they're going to try to do is run the ball, it could be tough sledding against West Virginia. Okay, well, we'll get more to that game next week. KU takes on Tennessee Tech tonight. Again, you can hear it on KLWN. KU has to win this game. This is a must-win game. You don't say that really at any other point throughout the season this year. Obviously, KU does need to get more wins to keep the momentum moving forward and keep the progress moving forward and get the over-under on the Vegas wins or improve from what your win total was last year. All those things are true. But this is the only one in theory where it's a must-win because you could just say, okay, just win one Big 12 game. Just win one between Duke and Houston, right? Or win one of these games between Duke, Iowa State, and TCU, and then one of the, right? You can you can just say win one of those. There's no other game on the schedule besides this one that is, you know, you have to win that one. You have to. Duke is the next closest, but even then you could say, oh, but if you lose to Duke, maybe you'll get a second Big 12 win or whatever it is. You have to win this game. Um, otherwise, the momentum is going to feel like it's halted. The progress that you feel like you made over the offseason and from last year, it's going to feel like what's the point? It's going to feel like here we go again if you lose tonight. A loss tonight would be a a burn it down type <laughs> type loss. Like, like yeah, I, I mean that, that, some that, people maybe, are, that, maybe well, that sounds dramatic, but I think given the the forward momentum, the general sense of positivity around the program, I know it I know it kind of happens every year like it happened with Les Miles and it, it tends to happen every year with KU, which is when we talked to Brian Haney yesterday, that's what I was trying to get at is Every year there is there there is buzz before the first game, but every year they've never KU has never really felt like they've delivered on that, and this is another example. But this year the buzz is greater. It's Lance Leipold's second year, full season, full, full off season, and yeah, I mean it's it's palpable in the air. It certainly is, and that's what makes this game that much more important to win and to win even pretty convincingly for a lot of KU fans to really start to buy in. And I think you're right. I think if you go one and eleven. After, if you win this game and you go one and eleven, and you know maybe you still have a couple close games here and there, I it it would be really bad, but it would not be burn it down bad. Losing this game would be literally shut the program down, pack it in, done. We're done. It just it it would be a loss of hope right off the bat. You know what I mean? It it would feel like a shock too that is stripped away from me. Where you're right, if you go one and eleven, it's going to be that more gradual loss of hope. Which I guess you could make the (laughs) argument. Wouldn't you rather band aid be ripped off? But no. Not in this case, but probably not. I think not. even like even if they go one and eleven, you still have might have the chance of pulling away some some positives. Like I said, mm-hmm. if you go one and eleven, but you lose like seven or eight one score games or whatever, right? Like you're still gonna feel really bad about it at the end of the year. But maybe it wouldn't it wouldn't be as bad, right? Whereas if you lose this game and you end up maybe going one and eleven or two and ten and beating somebody else, it's still I, I the I think what you stand to lose. KU's football program, what you stand to lose from this game is just so far greater than anything else that has really happened within KU football in the last decade, really, which is pretty shocking to say, I think, but I think it's true. I think this is th- this game is, is like the culmination of a lot of despair for KU football, and if they can get over this game, I, I, again, it sounds almost ridiculous saying it, but just to get over this game convincingly, 
then you can say, okay, now we can settle in and maybe go after two or three more wins. As far as the biggest keys to the game, I'll split this up to offense and defense. Special teams is simple. It's just don't make a stupid play, right? Don't get a pump blocked. Don't uh, miss a 25-yard field goal. Don't fumble a punt return, something like that. It just don't mess up, basically. Uh, offensively, though, for me, it's can the offensive line get pushed? We didn't see that last year against South Dakota. Can you do it this time? Because you have the running backs that if you can get that push, those running backs are going to be better athletes than anyone on the Tennessee Tech defense, and they are going to make them pay. But can you do that? Yeah, can you I, do that right off the bat? Yeah, I think we, we definitely agree that KU on paper has much better talent, much better athletes, this, that, and the other, right? So to me, I think it's just going to be a question of execution. Can KU just go out and execute what they've been practicing, what they've been doing in fall camp? Can they just go out and successfully do those things offensively? Because we know they're better talent-wise, or they should be, We know, and we think they are. So if they can do that, it's just going to come down to not making mistakes and building some confidence in the offense, and that's it, I think, really. And then, like you said, I think then you'll start to see the talent shine from the running backs, from Jalen Daniels, from whatever. Defensively, biggest key for me, are the linebackers good? Um, it's a very, very vague way of putting it, but the linebackers were really bad last year. You brought in three transfers, four if you include Tristan Fletcher, but just in terms of the two deep, you brought in three guys there. The returning guys are supposed to be better. They fought their way into maybe starting roles in the case of a guy like Taiwan Berryhill, even over some of the transfers. They're supposed to be a lot better. You're facing a good running back in David Gist. This is an offense that wants to run the football. If they're going to have long drives, if they're going to have success running the football, it's because the linebacking court isn't a lot better than what it was a season ago. If the linebackers are good, KU's good on the defensive end. And if they're good on the defensive end, obviously they're going to score enough points offensively that it'll be fine. Yeah. So, I I mean, you could talk about, well, how are the DBs going to play and mesh together and, and this and that. That's the biggest key right there. You could add the defensive line. You could add Lonnie Phelps. Are they going to get pressure on the quarterback? Are they going to start the pressure on those running backs, but that is the key right there. It's just the linebackers. So overall, when you look at things, the uh, final spread here is minus 31. It's been going kind of crazy. It the has. Last couple days, actually. It's popped around 30. I, I think you noted. DraftKings went to minus 34 at one That's point That's incredible. Yesterday. Over, under, I've seen bouncing around a little, too. I saw it at one point at 59. I've seen it at 61. Let's just say it's, let's just say line is KU minus 31 and over, under is 60. Okay. What are you doing with both of those on DraftKings? I'm taking the under, and I'm taking Tennessee Tech. I think this is going to be... Which one do you feel more confident about? The under, actually. I think it's, I think it's going to be 27-10, to 31-10. That's, that's how I think it might go, or even like 31-14, 35-14. But the reason I'm more confident in the under is maybe, it, maybe KU's defense ends up playing really well, and it's like 35-3 to three or 38-3. Mm-hmm. Maybe Tennessee Tech doesn't even score. So I'm I'm more confident in the under. I I don't I don't see KU putting up like 45, 49, 52 points. I don't I don't know that they'll get that high. I think I mean I could see them putting up 38, but if if the 60 and a half and KU's putting up 38, is Tennessee Tech going to put up 23? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think Tennessee Tech is at max getting 17. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the under is the better play there. You have two teams that are going to want to run the ball. Could be a lower possession game. You have uh, a defense in Tennessee Tech that their specialty was stopping the run. We know KU is going to put an emphasis on stopping the run this year. That would be the play to me. I'm not going to touch that spread at minus 31. If I had to, I would take Tennessee Tech. I I, I think you're right. A game 38-14, something like that, that yep. feels right to me. Yep. Yep. But... If KU is as successful as maybe they would hope running the football, we've talked about this all week. It's one thing if you're up, you know, by 30 points or by 25 points in the fourth quarter with 10 minutes left, and you're like, hey, we're up by so much. There's not much time left. We're not really going to be airing the ball out anymore. We're not going to be passing the ball. We're just going to run the ball every play. But if they can't stop your running game, then it doesn't matter. You're still going to score, and that's how they yep. end up covering the 31. Either that or Tennessee Tech has a big turnover game. The other thing in this is that KU, if they turn the ball over a couple times and they don't force any at the other end, like that's how Tennessee Tech maybe keeps this a little closer than you might think. Um, we'll see on that. But, yeah, I, I, I like the under. I'll just leave it at that. 
With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get into our game picks for the week. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Come down to Venue 1235 for everything from weddings to formals and live music. Visit them online at Venue1235.com to see the monthly calendar of events. This is RCST. Coming up in a little, we'll be joined by John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson for RCST. Don't forget, going to be out at 4.30 at Big Mill giving away free KU football tickets. You just got to answer a trivia question. We also have uh, NASCAR tickets to give away and some other stuff out of Big Mill. Do you, then have, you, do you have the questions selected? Um, no, I, I have the Google Doc with all the questions. Though, okay, so, so I, you're just going to pick one? Yeah, I'll just kind of okay. pick randomly. We'll see what it is. Uh, okay. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. How about this news before we get into our uh, game picks in the world of college football? It's official. They're going to be expanding to a 12-team playoff, but it won't come till 2026. So I I don't know how excited I'm supposed to get here. It's yeah, like when you I mean, see, oh, Georgia's going to play Notre Dame in 2032. Yeah, I mean, we had this discussion before where I, I think you and I both agreed that four was maybe not enough, but 12 seems like too much. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how to feel about this because, like we discussed previously, already with just four teams, we're seeing a lot of blowouts in the semifinals, right? So now it feels like that could just be even more. You know, it's like with the NFL, it's, oh, any given Sunday, but there's so much parity in the NFL. And with college football, there's a lot of parity, but at the top, not so much, right? It's always usually those same top teams. So... I don't know how much this is going to be appealing. I mean, obviously, I think people are still going to tune in and whatnot, and it's still going to be probably popular, but I, I don't know. I mean, like like you said, I don't know if we're supposed to, how excited we're supposed to be about <laughs> about this news. I mean, more more games, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, for the for top teams, I suppose, but it's not like they're not already on national TV every week anyway, so I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, I'll just be more excited. Like, once... Remind me when we get to 2025 or the 2026 season or whatever. I, I don't know if that means because technically 26, 27, right? Or would it be 25, 26? Like the playoff itself is in 2026, but it's the 2025 season. That yeah. I do not know, but yeah, just remind me then. Um, and I guess we'll stick with the current rules now. There's so the one undoubted positive about this is 12 teams in the playoff means K football has a better chance mm, of making it. That's than true. Four, yeah, right? more yeah. more opportunities. Yep. Like I said, I'll give you 30 <laughs> years. Do they make it? Okay, uh, we're going to get to our game picks today. Typically, we do five college football. We do five NFL. We do our lock of the week. But because there's no NFL this week, because it's the first week of college football, we're going to go up to 10 college football games that we're going to be picking against the spread, some of the best games around the country in college football. So, uh, Nick, let's cue the music here, and let's get into our picks. First up is a game that's going tonight. No, not the KU Tennessee Tech game. It's TCU at Colorado. The Horned Frogs are giving up 13 and a half. Who do you like? I'm taking Colorado. I, I don't trust TCU at this stage of the season. Obviously, we haven't even seen a play yet, but they've got two quarter two different quarterbacks that we've heard about, and they've got a really good receiver, but they don't have Zach Evans anymore. He's gone. I, and a new head coach. I don't know. I'm not sold on them. I mean, I think they'll probably still win the game because Colorado was picked to finish last in the Pac-12. I think they're supposed to be pretty bad this year. So I am still think TCU's going to win, but Colorado will cover. I feel the same way. I think TCU wins. I think it's a close game. Two Power 5 schools. That's got to be tough going up to Boulder for your first game of the season for TCU. Quentin Johnson is a rock star, like you mentioned, at receiver. Uh, and we think we know that the offense should be pretty exciting to watch. They're going to be air raid. They're going to be run and gun. They're going to go up and down the field. Um, but maybe there's some growing pains there still in the first game, and I think Colorado can keep it close. Number 13, NC State, minus 11.5 at East Carolina. Battle of the uh, Carolinas. There's been a lot of hype around East Carolina, actually, coming into this season. But I think I'm going to go with, with NC State because they have that great quarterback coming back. And... I don't know. I just I just feel like they're they're gonna they're gonna take care of business here against East Carolina. I I can't imagine East Carolina has a very great defense. I don't really know that much about them, but I just I have to assume their defense is probably not very good. So I think North Carolina State's probably gonna score a lot of points. To me, this feels like a, a thirty-eight to twenty type game or something like that, or forty-one to twenty or something like that. So I think North Carolina State will cover. Mm. I I thought about taking East Carolina here. Uh, I like the story they've had. They've like slowly built it up to being a a bowl team, and now they bring a lot back. Holton Ehlers, I believe is how you pronounce it, is just this dual threat. He's he's kind of like a Colin Klein, Tim Tebow type quarterback where he's like a power running quarterback. Um, 
I think they're going to keep it interesting early. Like, this might be one that I would be tempted to take, like, a first-half bet, maybe, on East Carolina. But I think over the course of the game, I think Devin Leary, I think that NC State defense, I think they kind of weather them out and maybe pull away for, like, a 17-point win or something like that at the end of the season. Next one is a top 15 showdown, number 11, Oregon, taking on number three, Georgia. It's on a neutral site. The Bulldogs, despite it being a top 11 matchup, are giving up 17 points. Yeah, this goes back. that goes back to our discussion because we're going to have another bet later on where it's the same thing. It's a top 15 matchup, and there's another team favored by 17. So for this one, I'm going with Oregon, and here's why. I don't think Georgia is going to score that many points. So I feel like this this could easily be like a like a twenty four to seven game, which I guess they would they would push that or they would yeah they would, push. They would push. So like like twenty four to ten or thirty one to seventeen something like that. Like I think they're gonna lose by two scores, but by less than seventeen. So that's why I'm taking Oregon. I don't think Oregon has a chance in the world to win this game at all, but I think they will cover. I like Georgia to cover this one. Oregon, there's too many unknowns there for me. Like running back Travis Dye transfers away to USC. Anthony Brown uh, graduates away. You have a, a new coach in there, which I don't know what to make of that because their coach is the defensive coordinator from Georgia last season. Does that mean that he's going to have an advantage of knowing how to attack the defense, or does that mean they're going to have an advantage knowing how to attack the Oregon defense because Georgia just has more talent on the field? So if all the coaching and the scheme is equal. It's just going to come down to the players. I I just think there's a lot more there for Georgia. Yeah, um, and Bo, Bo Nix doesn't just jump out as that's the other like part. Instant. No, like I don't trust Bo Nix at all. or whatever, right? You know. So this is uh, my wager is more against Georgia's offense okay. not being able to score enough points to cover is, is kind of what what I'm. Betting. Yeah, I mean they lose uh, George Pickens. You lose uh, both your top running backs. They have a really good tight end. And, yeah, they have a really good tight end, and they have Stetson Bennett still, but. Yeah, they like, did average like 38 a game last year. It's just weird. But again, I th- I'm thinking I really am smelling like a 31-17 game here, which Oregon would cover that. All right, I'm going Georgia minus the 17. Number 23, Cincinnati. They're at number 19, Arkansas, minus six and a half. I really wanted to pick Cincinnati, but I think I, think I have to go with Arkansas here. Mm. I think I have to go with Arkansas. This is a tough one because I feel like that's a pretty big line that – a lot of times you get these group of five it's, teams. It's like SEC bias, right? Yeah. You get a, you get a big line because it's an SEC team. And, and it's like you want to – like a lot of times the group of five teams, if it's a bowl game, it's the first game of the season, they show out, right? Like always the biggest difference between the group of five and the bowl teams tends to be maybe they're not as deep, right? But in terms of that just one game, they can go toe-to-toe with those schools, right? So I think from that standpoint, Cincinnati, you get them in the opener against Arkansas, you could be okay there. I just Cincinnati lost so much from a season ago. Arkansas lost a good amount too. Like Traylon Burks was so much of that offense. I love that quarterback that they got there though. Um, absolute beef monster. And uh, <laughs> I'll take Arkansas is minus he, is, the He's like out. built like Cam Newton, I think, right? I mean, not that big, but heavier. He's like I think he's like six five, like two sixty. Oh my god, dude's a load. Okay, uh, number 24, Houston at UTSA. That should be a good one of a group of five teams in the Lone Star State. Yeah, I'm picking the upset here. I'm going with Mm. UTSA. Are you Uh, picking them outright just with the four? I'll take them outright. Why not? I'll go for it. Who cares? Give me me the four. Why not? Well, they got to win last year over Illinois. Yeah, yeah. I I think UTSA is really good. I think they're going to be very good this year. And Houston out of the American, really, this game against UTSA is probably one of the tougher opponents on their schedule. When you look at their schedule, they don't have a lot of tough opponents mm. on their schedule. So, from that standpoint, hey, they got I'm, Kansas in two weeks. That's true. They do. They do have Kansas. Is in this two a weeks. look ahead game for Houston? <laughs> looking, looking ahead to Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going with UTSA here. I think the Roadrunners get it done. Uh, I'm gonna go Houston. I, I've gone back and forth on this one. I'll, I'll go with Houston. I, uh, I just think they're. The defense is is what gets me here. I think Houston's defense is better. Both have good quarterbacks that are veterans coming back. Clayton Toon, former KU commit, put up really big numbers for Houston last season. I'll take the Cougars minus the four here. Another Cougars, BYU. They're ranked 25th. Another Cougars will be in the Big 12, too. They're giving up 12 points on the road against South Florida. I just realized the the Big 12 is going to be adding two Cougar teams. Yeah. I just realized that. That would have been funny if, like, all the teams they added were the same <laughs> were all, mascot. All the same. Yeah. Like, you just had, like, six Tigers teams. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with BYU here because I think BYU's the far superior team. 
I think they're going to win probably pretty easily. BYU is another one of those teams that, as an independent, they don't they have a tough schedule, but this was not one of them. Uh, so I'm I'm taking BYU here. What what's the line? Minus twelve. Twelve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm taking BYU minus twelve. South Florida was really really bad two years ago. Last year they were still bad. They got a little more competitive, but they still again were bad. Um, <laughs> so we, that we that, know what that's like. I, I'm going to take BYU for that. I, I, I'm i really high on this BYU team this season. They're physical. They're going to punch you in the mouth. I like the quarterback coming back this year. The one thing that does scare me, even though I am going to take BYU here, is USF landed a bunch of transfers, and one of them is Jerry Bohannon, starting quarterback from Baylor last yeah. year. That's a good little pickup for them. Yeah. So I wouldn't be shocked if they keep this at like a 10-point game and cover the spread, but I'm going to lean BYU minus the 12 points. Number seven, Utah is giving up three points. They're at Florida. This line has gone back and forth. Utah was favored. Florida was like briefly favored, and then it went back up to Utah. Listen, speaking of SEC bias, I have a bias against the SEC. <laughs> okay, so it might not, not be so profitable. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with Utah here. Why not? Utah. I think they'll find a way to get it done. If nothing else, just to just to beat the SEC. I just I just I don't like picking the SEC over and over again. So I'm going with Utah. Really, that's the only reason, honestly. I think, I, but I think they'll find a way to get it done. If this game happened at the end of the season, if this was a bowl game, if this was whatever, I would pick Utah. They've just been one of those teams that maybe starts a little slow through the first month of the season, and then over the last two months, they start to look like one of the better teams in the country. That scares me a little bit here. Florida's going to be juiced up, amped up with a new coach and everything there. I, I think. Utah is scaring me too in the same light that kind of was what happening is what's happening to Kansas State right now, where they're like, like Kansas State is everybody's dark horse to win the Big Twelve. Yeah. Utah's everybody's dark horse to make the college football playoff. Like so if you're not at what point are you no longer a dark horse and you're just a, a pick? I think here. I think they are no longer a dark horse. I think you're right. They've they've crossed that plateau. And I don't love that. I don't love Utah playing playing that uh that favorite role. But I'll tell you what, the Pac-12 needs this one. Like, this yes. isn't just for Utah. Yes. The Pac-12 needs this because otherwise, if Florida is like the eighth best team in the SEC or something, and they beat one of the two or three best in the Pac-12, good I, luck I, getting in the playoffs. I do think it's possible that Florida could end up being like one of the best six and six teams in the country <laughs> or like, you know, yeah, the yeah. best seven and five, like in, like in Nebraska, best uh-huh. three night, like, like that last year. I think that could happen with Florida, but even still, that won't matter if they beat Utah and Utah is supposed to be like a playoff team. Mm-hmm. This is uh, probably the game of the I mean, the line says it's not, but the rankings say it is. Number five, Notre Dame at number two, Ohio State. The Buckeyes, despite it being a top five matchup, are giving up 17 points. I had a friend tell me when I was talking about this game that it could be 25 and he would still pick Ohio State. It could be Ohio State minus 25. <laughs> you just pick against Notre Dame in a big game. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go with Ohio State too mm. as well. I, I don't I don't trust Notre Dame really at all. And Ohio State's Ohio State. They've got... Multiple first-round picks on both sides of the ball. They're really, really good for a reason. They're ranked number two in the country, and, and I think this is a, I think this is a fair line because going back to the Georgia game, Georgia's offense does not speak to me as an offense that's just going to amass a, a ton of points really quick. Ohio State's offense does. So this game could be like this game could be like thirty-five to ten at half or something like that. You know? Or it could even be close at the end of the third quarter and then they get three quick touchdowns yeah, exactly, to, exactly. to open up the uh, fourth quarter of play. So, yeah, I'm taking Ohio State minus 17. I think the final score would be like, you know, 48 to 24 or something. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. So, I'll be honest, I came into this and I was like, oh, I'm going to pick Ohio State. Of course, they're going to cover the 17 against Notre Dame. I don't know why. I've just had a last-minute switch. And no this, is the, this is the dumbest reason ever. The Monti... The Manti Teo revenge game. The documentary came out. Everybody's been watching it. Okay. We've watched it for multiple weeks. It's it's all the talk of the world. There's magic in the air for Notre Dame. <laughs> they do it for Manti Teo. The truth has come out, and he will be redeemed by Notre Dame covering the spread against Ohio okay, so State. You're, def- you're not picking them to win. <laughs> no, no. Okay, okay, okay. But I will say, okay, from like an actual football standpoint, I do actually like that they have like that. I don't know. Like I don't know. It feels like there's something there. From a football standpoint, what was Ohio State's biggest weakness last year that led to their two losses? It was physicality, and it was playing against a team who could run the ball up your throat, right? They lost to Oregon that way, who ran for like 300 yards, and they lost to Michigan, who just ran it down their throat. What does Notre Dame do? Notre Dame doesn't have nearly the skill players as Ohio State, and that is scary because, like you said, they're going to get some quick. They're going to get some big touchdowns. 
But in terms of the offensive and defensive line of scrimmage, Notre Dame might have the advantage there. So I think they can at least keep it close. I'll, I'll take Notre Dame. Okay. Boise State at Oregon State. The Beavers are giving up two and a half. Yeah, this one's interesting. I thought more people would be on Boise State, but Oregon State seems to be the more popular pick. And I'm going to ride with Oregon State. Two and a half, minus two and a half. They, they, they can cover that easily. They'll just win by a field goal. And easy money. Yeah, I'll take Oregon State as well. I think the the luster of Boise being this team who is like the best group of five every year, I think that has kind of gone over the last five years or so. They had kind of a down year last year. I'm really high in this Oregon State team, so I'll take the Beavers minus two and a half. Florida State versus LSU. This is a Sunday game. It's played on technically a neutral field, but it's in New Orleans. Um, <laughs> so we know who's going to have the, the home field advantage there. Tigers are giving up three points. I'm taking LSU because mm. Brian Kelly's family is going to be there, <laughs> and he's going to show out, and they're going to get a big win. And I don't trust uh, I don't trust Florida State at all. I yeah. don't care that they actually took care mm. of business against Duquesne last week. I don't I don't care about that. They're they're I don't trust them. Yeah, I I agree. I don't trust them, but I guess I trust them enough here because so I I do think Brian Kelly's going to actually be okay at LSU. I don't know how it's going to look in year one. Like, it might be a transitional period. It might be a, a one-year yeah. period in between. And I do think that Florida State has, I don't know, so th- there's just more knowns on, on certain positions and, and ends of the ball, even though LSU might have, like, more talent overall with probably the better coach um, and the home field. I guess I'm talking myself into LSU. But, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'll just take the three points because I don't really feel great about taking either one of these sides. Yeah, so no, I guess I, just I give mean, me the three yeah, points. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I'm not confident mm-hmm. in LSU, but okay, you can't lock- pick against the guy's family. No, you can't. I mean, I guess I just did. That's just rude. Uh, lock of the week. Who is your lock of the week? All right, I'm going with Colorado State plus 30 and a half <laughs> against Michigan, and here is why. Michigan can't decide who their starting quarterback is. Mm-hmm. That's going to affect them, and Colorado State is going to lose this game by like 28, but they're going to cover the 30 and a half, I promise. Okay, that's all that matters. So Colorado State plus 30 and a half is your lock. How about this one? South Dakota State, we've seen them beat KU here in Lawrence, plus 17.5 against Iowa. South Dakota State was really good last season. They uh, yeah, were. They, they went to like the semifinals. And I was going to say, I think the, on, the, the only loss that North Dakota State had last year was to South Dakota State. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is clearly a very good FCS team. We've seen Iowa lose to North Dakota State uh, a few years back. Well, and 17 and a half is just so much for Iowa, mm-hmm. considering the style of right, uh, great the defense style that they but play. They can't pass the ball. I mean, you know? this, this this feels like a game that's going to be like 17 to 10. I agree. So I I <laughs> love this one. That's my lock of the week: South Dakota State plus 17 and a half. That is our game picks for Week One. John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant joins us next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. It is game day for KU football. They take on Tennessee Tech. You can hear it later today here on KLWN, as well as our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Joined now by John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant and Rivals. Uh, John, with kickoff just hours away now, What is is there maybe one thing that you're kind of honing in on or most interested to see? Because it's one thing to hear about it or, or see certain practice drills with guys, but it's another thing to see it in an actual game. So whether it's an individual player, whether it's a position group, whether it's just something holistically with the team, what are you most interested in maybe finding out about this team in the opening game here in just a little bit? Oh, Derek, you know, it's interesting you asked me that because just before we started this, I just posted a, a story about five things I'm looking for. So, I mean, um, one of them was, you know, the carries among the running backs. I just, I'd like to see, you know, they can go five deep. And, and I think that's going to be something where competition goes every week. I kind of expect Devin Neal and Highshaw to be the first two out of the shoot there. But, I mean, you know, that's going to be something that, with so many good backs, I'm, I'm interested in how they're going to distribute it. Uh, one of the other things I talked about was the attacking style of the defensive line. Um, if you talk to the defensive line this fall camp, the biggest change maybe that we've seen on the whole team is the style and the philosophy of, you know, in the past it was hold your gap, stand your guy up, and now it is get upfield, go make a play. It, it, more of an attack mode, and the defensive linemen really seem to like what they're doing now. Um, yeah, play calling on offense. I, I want to see what Andy Kotelnik is going to do. And we may not see it all tonight. You know, I mean, you hope that, you know, Kansas is the better team than Tennessee Tech and they don't show everything. But I still think that, you know, you're going to see new wrinkles this year. I mean, you've got more tight ends. You've got more running backs. You know, you're 
going to see different personnel groupings. So, you know, those are just some of the things I really want to keep my eye on tonight. When you looked at the initial two deep and the depth chart that came out there, um, you know, there there were obviously several oars, and, and you look in a lot of the maybe transfers that came in weren't listed as starters or were maybe listed in an oar situation. Do you think that speaks more to what some of the returning guys have done, or do you think that speaks maybe to the fact that, yeah, early in the season it might be a little tough for some of those newcomers because they are still learning a new scheme, and, and maybe those guys will be starters down the road in week four, week five, week six? Yeah, Derek, I think there's some combinations going on here. I think, number one, you know, a depth chart can be there to just push guys, right, to make guys keep competing throughout the week. And I do think that transfers have elevated some of the guys' games. I mean, you, you look at linebacker. I mean, who would have thought Taiwan Berryhill, right, would hold on or, or, or get a starting job and keep it all through fall camp? So, they're, they're, you know, Marvin Grant with an or next to his name. I mean, Marvin Grant could be the best defensive back on the team. And I'm including Kenny Logan in there. I mean, Marvin Grant's a heck of a football player. The guy started all 13 games at Purdue last year and had, like, 80 tackles. I mean, he's, he's really good. So I just think there's some positions that early on here, it's kind of a feeling out process. You know, what player when they, you know, when the band starts playing, who's really stepping up, who's looking good outside of just fall camp. So I think these guys, when you look at the depth chart, they're going to give everybody their opportunity. And it will probably come in these first couple games to see what everybody looks like. We may not know as much as we do against Tennessee Tech because KU should be the better team. But going to West Virginia next week, I, I think will show a lot more on that depth chart, which I think is going to be an ever-changing depth chart these first three or four weeks. Running back, as you kind of talked about in your first answer, is certainly one of interest, too. When you look at the depth chart, you have four players on there, all with oars next to their name. Is that something there? I mean, obviously in the first game of the season, if if everything goes well according to plan for KU – you know, and you get up big, there are going to be a lot of different running backs who disperse the carries. But as the season goes on, do you really expect it to be that balanced between four guys? Or do you think whichever two it is, do you think maybe two or three of them kind of emerge and, and I guess the cream rises to the top? Well, Derek, from everything that I've heard and talked to people, I think the gap between all these guys is fairly small. Okay. And if that's going to end up being the case, I really hope they use a balanced attack, and I hope they spread carries out because if you remember last year, once Devin Neal got banged up late in the season, I don't think they had a scholarship back healthy in that last week, okay? So Devin Neal had to shoulder the load. You had the Gardner kid went in the transfer portal last year. So the running back position got real banged up. I mean, I I think a lot of people forget about that. So looking forward, you hope that all these guys – can create carries for themselves, which keeps legs fresh, bodies healthier. Uh, you, you know, Devin Neal, when he went out last year, I mean, they were literally looking to take wide receivers and put them into running back just to get them through. So hopefully what this depth does is everybody gets touches and keeps them fresh and keeps everybody off that injured list. I, I know that this game is obviously, you know, Huge favorites for KU, 31-point favorites or, or wherever, 30-and-a-half, I don't know, depending where you look at it. So clearly KU should be in a situation that, yeah, even if there's maybe a matchup that they don't like or doesn't go their way, like if, if all goes according to plan, they should be okay. But uh, specifically for tonight with the matchup against Tennessee Tech, is there anything that uh, maybe would worry you about the Golden Eagles just in terms of, of the style of play? Well, you know, they've got their quarterback, Oatsball, is going to be the guy. And, you know, when he was at Austin P, he was like the conference preseason player of the year. I think it was maybe 2019. He got hurt, okay? And then 2020, they had the COVID-shortened season, and then he transferred to Memphis. Now he's transferred to Tennessee Tech. And when you ask around, I mean, most people think he's going to be the best quarterback in the conference. And they have a new offensive coordinator. So you really don't know what to expect there and what they're going to come out with scheme-wise. But but listen, overall, Derek, I mean, Kansas should be better, really, at every position. And when you look at some of the, the depth chart of Tennessee Tech, I mean, you see some guys, I mean, they're light in some positions. So this is a game... You know, Leipold and his teams traditionally have always been physical, and and that's what they've wanted to be. And they've had a they've had a all 
all spring, all summer to get bigger and stronger. So this is a night where you hope that you can see KU line up and push Tennessee Tech around. So, I mean, if there's something that concerns me, there's really not outside of the unknowns of what they're going to try to do offensively. Well, as we head into the season here, what's kind of on the recruiting radar for KU as they they try to keep going with this uh, class of 2023? Yeah, you know, Derek, this is what I think. And and, and listen, this this can all change. But I really think that they're going to try to do what we saw last year, maybe balance more high school guys in instead of as strong with the portal. But I could see them, let's say they've got 25 spots. I could see them going 15 high school guys, and then rely on the portal for nine or ten guys. That would be a real nice balance. They're sitting at eight or nine commitments right now. They've got a few visitors coming in this week. You know, it's a, it's a tough night for visitors because playing on a Friday night, all the other high school guys are, you know, pl- playing their games. But, you know, I don't think they have a lot of work out there left on high school guys. I think they can kind of be picky and go for their guys. And then what they'll do is they will go through the season, and they will evaluate each spot, and they're going to say, "Okay, we got to go to the portal here. Okay, we got to go to the portal here." Or maybe some guys play well, and they say, "Listen, we were planning on going to the portal here, but these guys have shown us we don't have to do that." So, I still think the recruiting board will be a work in progress throughout the season. As far as the guys that are currently in tow that are already committed to the program, is there a sense at all that there needs to be a, a good start for KU this season to keep up with that momentum last year? to maybe keep some of those recruits, or is that just kind of the nature of recruiting in general, that it is just kind of an ever-changing game? Yeah, it's just it's just the nature of recruiting. I mean, you've just always got to play well, right? You've got to always keep recruiting the guys that you have because somebody else is going to. And, I mean, every year we see more and more decommitments. And so you just – you know, hey, there there could be a, a one thought of mine where people would say, hey, you don't want the team to play as well <laughs> because then the recruits think they can come in and play earlier, right? I mean, you, you always hear that, like, if, if you're recruiting a running back, okay, like like they're recruiting Cason Wiseman's teammate. He's really good. Well, if all these running backs come out and look good all year long, what running back is going to want to come to KU, right? I mean, because you're going to sit there and look at the depth chart and say, God, they got four guys who can all play. I don't know if I want to go there. So, you know, it's just one of those things that you never know how it's really going to work out. Well, yeah, I guess is there pressure at all on on the guys who came in via the transfer portal to produce right away? Like, is that something that coaching circles talk about where it's like, hey, we don't want to send you here or we don't think you should go there because – or parents or whoever, because, look, they brought in this kid who was supposed to be a good transfer, and, and he didn't perform well. Is that something that's talked about, or, or is that just kind of me just overblowing something? No, no, I think it's a, I think it's a fair question, and, and you know, it, it depends on, you know, did that kid come in, and maybe was he overhyped? Or, or you, you know, one of the other things that will happen too, Derek, is let's say – a few of these portal guys, what if they get beat out by current players, right? Then other coaches on opposing teams will say, well, look, Kansas got these high-profile transfers in last year, and they didn't play nearly as many snaps, so why would you go there? They don't play their transfers. And, and that could go with any school, but yeah, no, there, there's no doubt that, that all those things play into the recruiting pitches behind the scenes. All right, well, John, uh, before we let you go, uh, the spread is, is 30 and a half. The over-under is uh, 59 and a half, 60, somewhere around there. Um, sports betting is now legal in Kansas. If you had to put a play on the game, uh, would, you, would you touch either of those or would you completely avoid it? Well, you know, Derek, here's what I did. I, I guessed the score. I predicted the score 42-14, okay? So... I'm going with Kansas, and I'm going with Kansas comfortably, but I don't know if my prediction there helps the gamblers because I guess my spread limit would kind of be right on the line there. So, hey, listen, Derek, when's the last time you and I have been on the phone together, right, and Kansas is a 30-point favorite? No. When's the last time we've talked about that? <laughs> I don't think ever. I don't think ever for me. <laughs> right. It's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was honestly kind of uh, alarming, like in a good way, kind of alarming when you saw that number. I I thought going in it was going to be maybe seventeen or twenty. So to see it be that big was, uh, I, I guess, 
a good sign from the outside of, of what expectations are and, and could be for Lance Leipold and uh, KU. I'll throw one more at you. Somebody just posted on our board this morning that the early line for West Virginia's out, and I want to say somebody posted it was 12, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when I mean, West Virginia, I thought, looked pretty good last night. They looked physical. So when's the last time you've seen Kansas go on the road against a conference team who looked good last night and only, you know, a 12-point dog? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Pittsburgh team, top 20 in the country, and they had a really good defense last year, brought a lot back to the defense, and they put up 31 points on them. And if not for just a, I don't know, gaffu by the receiver, maybe they win that game. So, uh, yeah, right, you're right. right. You're right. That is a uh, good sign of thing to come. Well, John, I appreciate the time, man, and uh, good luck just with everything over the course of the season here. And uh, stay safe tonight. I appreciate it, man. You got it. See you there. All right, that's John Kirby. You can check out his work and subscribe as the season gets going at Jayhawk Slant and at Rivals. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, one hour down, uh, half an hour to go. I'm going to head out of here. I'm going to go get ready a big mill myself, and Scott Chasen will be uh, doing the show at 4.30 from Big Mill to get you ready into the Crimson and Blue show, an extra KU pregame show over at Big Mill. Stop by. We have NASCAR tickets to give away. We do have KU football tickets to give away. So if you come by, you answer a, I'll either ask you a medium or a hard uh, trivia question. I haven't decided yet. I'll ask Scott, Scott what he wants to do there. And uh, if you get it right, you'll get a pair of KU football tickets, right? It's that easy. It'll be super fun. We have NASCAR tickets. We have T-shirts. We have other stuff to give away. So swing on by. It's literally on your way in at Big Mill at the corner of 9th and Mississippi. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out getting set up at Big Mill for our hour pregame show that's going to kick off here in about uh, 25 minutes or so with Derek Johnson and Scott Chasen down at Big Mill at 9th of Mississippi. So if you're out and about in Lawrence head, looking for something to do before the game, head over there, say hi to the boys. And also they've got some prizes to give away, including some K football tickets and some tickets for the NASCAR events coming up next weekend in Kansas City. But... It is Friday, and you know what that means. That's right. It is time for the Friday sports stock market. And we're into this college football season, so stocks are going crazy. And it's a really exciting time for the Friday sports stock market. So that's what we're going to have here right now. And... We'll start it off with stocks are down on knowing what a catch is. Already, week one, we're, we've got, we haven't even played all week one games. It was Thursday night, and we already had two or three plays where you just don't know what a catch is. So stocks down on knowing what a catch is. And actually, one of them, two of them decided games, or basically decided games. One of them was 4th and 16 for West Virginia. JT Daniels throws what was really a great pass right at the goal line to score what if the game-tying touchdown against Pittsburgh and guy had it underneath his hands but it hit the ground but then who knows I don't know I was questioning it everybody was leaning forward looking at their TV screens I was they called it incomplete then a very similar play happened in Purdue Penn State on a third down Purdue with the ball they could have potentially iced the game with a first down against Penn State they were up 31 to 28 Another pass from Aiden O'Connell, starting quarterback for, for Purdue. And their tight end, again, got his hands under it, but didn't quite hit the ground. I don't know. It was a bit inconsequential. Also ruled incomplete. And Penn State went on to win that game. Pittsburgh obviously won the game against Purdue. So stocks are down on determining what is a catch and what is not a catch already in week one. That stock is always up, up and down. It's all over the place. But it's down in week one for sure. However, stocks are up on keeping traditional college football rivalries and matchups alive. Pittsburgh, going back to the Pittsburgh-West Virginia game, Pittsburgh announced an attendance record against West Virginia for the backyard brawl. This was their first matchup, by the way, in I think over 10 years or a very long time. But these are two bitter, bitter rivals that had not played for a while. They play again, and it's an attendance record for Pittsburgh. And it just goes to show that there is a lot of people around the country that really, truly, deeply care about regional matchups and regional rivalries, and they're very important to college football. I mean, last night's West Virginia-Pittsburgh game was an instant classic. It was incredible. It had everything that you'd want from a rivalry game, and it just goes to show that 
those types of games are just they bring out a different energy of college football. And on top of that, people really care about them. Pittsburgh on an attendance record. So in this era of conference realignment and teams going this, that, and the other all over the place, whatever, and it seems like conferences and athletic departments are more interested in in TV revenue and national exposure and all that stuff, maybe they should really consider keeping some of these regional rivalries alive because people, the fans, clearly care about them. I love them. They're they're really great. I mean, I, I, I didn't see the ratings for the Pittsburgh-West Virginia game, but I'm sure they were... It was probably the most watched game of the evening, I would think. So the Sox are up on keeping those alive, keeping traditional college football rivalries alive. And we'll see, I guess, will athletic departments take notice at some point or will they continue to be blindly driven by TV revenue and profits? Sox are up also for Lamar Jackson becoming the highest paid quarterback over the weekend, or not over the weekend, but earlier this week. Russell Wilson was signed by the Broncos to an extension and guaranteeing him over $100 million and this, that, and the other. And so Lamar Jackson, he has been, he was, there was some talk about him potentially holding out. He ended up not holding out, but he is up for a new deal. And I think the stocks for him getting his new deal and becoming the highest paid quarterback in the league are pretty high. And again, every year, at least for the time being, in the past couple of years, every new signing with a quarterback just makes that, Patrick Mahomes signing look better and better for the Chiefs in terms of value, right? Because the quarterback market just keeps going up and up and up and up. I don't. It shows no signs of slowing down. And the Chiefs already have Mahomes on a great deal in terms of what he's worth value-wise. So at some point, I expect that Lamar Jackson will become the highest-paid quarterback in the league. And again, stocks are up because Russell Wilson recently just signed his deal. So the more quarterbacks that keep signing deals, the better it is for Lamar Jackson to become the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. And to a certain extent, he may deserve it. He's, a, he's He's got an MVP. A lot of people say, well, he's just a running back playing quarterback. Well, I mean, he's he's led the, the Ravens to multiple playoff appearances, a playoff win. Is he going to take the Ravens to the Super Bowl, to a Super Bowl win? Maybe. I mean, the reality situation is we are truly in – really the golden age of quarterbacks, honestly, in the NFL. There are a lot of really, really great quarterbacks. I mean, when you look at the 2000s and late late 2000s, early 2010s, it was it was Peyton Manning, it was Tom Brady, it was Drew Brees, even like Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger in there a little bit, right? Now you've got Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers. You still have Tom Brady, even though he's probably going to retire soon. Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, I mean, the list of really great quarterbacks is is very impressive, or really talented quarterbacks is is very impressive. So we we you feel like we're in the the golden age of quarterbacks right now. And for Lamar Jackson, again, I think he's in position to potentially become the highest paid quarterback in the league rather shortly. Stocks are down on Purdue getting that one crazy upset that they usually get. Purdue, this is. This is what they've become known for the last five, six years. You can't just roll into West Lafayette, Indiana, and expect to get a win, especially especially if you're a team that's ranked or has high expectations for this season. But stocks are down because they couldn't pull it off against Penn State last night. Lost 35-31 against Penn State. It was a crazy game back and forth. And Sean Clifford, the starting quarterback for Penn State, left the game after he got his leg kind of twisted up on. Then he came back. And he had a chance to lead a game-winning drive. He threw a pick six, actually, with a chance to ice the game. But he dug deep. He came back. He scored to make it 35-31. Penn State unable, or Purdue, excuse me, unable to respond. So stocks are down on Purdue getting that big upset they normally get. They are they are still going to have a chance, really. They got Iowa at home on November 5th. So stocks are down, but maybe this might be a situation where you buy low and potentially sell high when Purdue does beat Iowa, or if they beat Iowa, in November, right? So maybe maybe you might buy low here, buy low, and then sell high once they beat Iowa later in the year. But Sox are down right now, and for Purdue, just to give a little bit of context on what they've done in, the, in recent times to sort of earn this notoriety as a team that will defeat top teams, of course, most people probably remember in 2018 when they shellacked Ohio State in 2018. That was Rondale Moore, kind of his coming out party, so to speak. And they took it to Ohio State, who was ranked number two at the time with Urban Meyer. And 
really. I think they beat them 49 to 20 in that game. So that was, I would say that was maybe the the true birth of the Purdue myth. But it has continued, and last year they did it twice. Last year, Michigan State was ranked third when they rolled into West Lafayette, and Purdue beat them 40-29, to and then they did it again on the road against Iowa, and Iowa was number two in the country at that point, and Purdue beat them 24-7. to So that's kind of a little bit of history on the Purdue upset alert situation, whatever you want to call it, where... Hey man, Purdue, they make they make it happen. But this year, Penn State was the team that I think was going to be the one that you would say, ah, there you go. That's the one they're going to beat to continue this legend. And Penn State overcame it. James Franklin, Sean Clifford, they they overcame it. They overcame the Purdue I don't know if I want to call it curse. I don't really think it's a curse or I don't know, but they overcame it. But like I said, this might be a situation where you buy low and sell high on the stocks on Purdue if they beat Iowa at home in November, on November 5th. So so keep that one in mind. And stocks are also up on college football games taking 800 years. Oh, dude, some long games, some brutal games. I mean, not, not brutal in, the, in terms of the entertainment quality, but just brutal in terms of just how long it was. I mean, we'll go back to the Pitt-West Virginia game. Pitt-West Virginia. No overtime. Regulation game, 60 minutes, 38-31 the final score. Took almost four and a half hours. The game started at 6. We had 7 o'clock games that had finished 20 minutes before Purdue or before Pitt and West Virginia even got close to finishing. There was reviews. There was all kinds of shenanigans, just madness. I mean, I think we had about half a dozen reviews in the last 10 minutes of the game, really. And this is what college football is known for, and the stocks are up after not even week one. I mean, we've we played, you know, however many games were last night, and stocks are already up. They're, they're skyrocketing for college football games taking 800 years, and Pitt-West Virginia was a prime example of that. But again, I want to emphasize that I'm not complaining about the situation in terms of Pitt-West Virginia because it was a great game. It was an exciting game. There was craziness everywhere. It was madness and it was well worth the four and a half hours to sit down and watch it. But generally speaking, you really should not have a college football game that lasts that long. Now, I will say this. Part of the reason why college football games last longer, I think, is typically your half times for college football games are longer because you have to get the band out there, right? You have to get the band out. The band's got to do its thing, whatever. Whether you're pro-band or anti-band, whatever, it's, that's just the reality of the game. The band has to have their time. Because you see in the NFL, NFL games never take this long. NFL games, they, I mean, they usually take about three hours, but you never see them take this long. The reason why you see college football games, well, a couple reasons why. Number one is the band at halftime. Number two is you have so many reviews and so many, you know, whatever. And number three is you have a lot of points being scored and a lot of teams that run tempo offenses. And when you do that, the games take a lot longer. So, but listen, I'm not going to sit here and make a statement a grandiose statement one way or the other about the bands at halftime. Here is what I will say. My mom, nobody loves the bands more than my mom. My mom will go to a football game, high school football game, college football game. She will go to the game just to watch the band at halftime. That That is why she's there. She's not there for the game. She doesn't care what's going on on the field. I've gone to games with my mom, and it, she doesn't care about the game. She doesn't care about what's happening on the field. She only cares about the band. Once the band plays at halftime, she's good. So, in, I guess in solidarity with my mom, I'm willing to support bands at halftime for that reason because I know my mom loves them very much. But, yeah, stocks are up on college football games, taking forever. And coming up in just about 10 minutes, that's it for the Friday Sports Stock Markets. Coming up in just about uh, 10 minutes or so, we might even have a little bit of a teaser coming up here even shortly. Derek Johnson and Scott Chasen are going to be out at Big Mill. They've got plenty of prizes to give away and whatnot. So if you're out around town looking for something to do before the KU football game kicks off, head on over to Big Mill. It's right next to the stadium, 9th Mississippi. They've got KU football tickets. They've got some NASCAR tickets coming up for the NASCAR events, which is next weekend in Kansas City. And also you can just go hang out with them. You know, Give Derek a hug. He might need it. I don't know. Sometimes you just need a hug, man. So, But they're out there, Big Mill, for the KU tailgate show, which is going to lead up to the Crimson and Blue show, which will start at 530 and then, of course, that'll take us into 
the KU game, which kicks off at 7 o'clock right here on KLWN and also on KISS, 10, Kiss FM, our sister station. And if you're looking for Lawrence Free State tonight, that'll be on the Bull at 92.9. So there's football everywhere around Lawrence. It's, it's an exciting time. We've had various guests on the show over the past uh, week or so that have just really injected a lot of enthusiasm about KU football and the excitement around KU football. So if you're in town, get out there, show some support for KU football. But first, show some support for your guy Derek and Scott Jason there over at Big Mill. And we're going to take a short break right now. And like I said, when we come back, we might hit a little bit of a teaser from them before they kick off their KU tailgate show, which is scheduled to start at 4.30. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on 1320, 101.7 FM, KLWN. Depend on it. 